This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Mercedes Me Melbourne, where the city's cafe culture meets Mercedes Benz lifestyle. And welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today, we're doing things a little bit differently. In fact, this episode is brought to you live from the Mercedes Me store in Melbourne, where we sat down with beauty writer, podcaster, and all-round genuine legend, Gemma Watts. Gemma gets quite the intro in this recording, so we figured we wouldn't double up by telling you all about her here too. So without further ado, here's our live recording at Mercedes Me in conversation with Gemma Watts. Welcome to our very first live recording. This could be stressful because now you're on live recording of an in conversation episode. We've never done a live recording at all. Oh, she yeah, realizes actually. you can see her eyes tick over. So welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I got that really wrong. Hi. <laughs> We've thrown so nice. her. It's so nice to see all of your beautiful faces. Thank you for coming. Of course, thank you to Mercedes Me for putting this on. A little tidbit for all the environmentalists in the room. This is a carbon neutral space, which I Ooh, think hello. is really amazing. Uh, it's also beautiful, of course. This actually functions as a cafe during the day. So it's pretty incredible. We're so grateful to be in this space today. And of course, to St. Ali for putting all on the food. And thank you for all of your gift bags. We love thank you. They've sponsored the podcast a few times now, and they're an incredible company to get behind. So make sure you go home as well and track where your products are actually going towards around the world to... How's the little shameless plug? Yeah, I know, but thank you. Track the products. No, but also do that. Um, We are so stoked to be here today. Like Michelle said, what we're going to do is we're going to do a couple of things today. We're going to interview Gemma. She's not just going to sit here idly all night, although I would much prefer it that way. So rude. She talks a lot. <laughs> I really do. We're here till three o'clock tomorrow, guys. I hope they put that on there. She's <laughs> already interjecting. And then we are going to do a bit of a Q&A with you guys. If you have questions, please throw them at us. We'll do that for about 20-ish minutes. I'm timekeeping, so this could go very rogue. And then after that, we are going to sort of mill around for you guys. Hopefully, there's some still food going and we can chat and take photos and do whatever you like to do. Now, this is being recorded, so I will kick this off in the same way that we kick off every Shameless In Conversation episode, which is hello and welcome to Shameless In Conversation with Gemma Watts. We are so thrilled to have you here today, Gemma. For those unaware, Gemma is an absolute powerhouse in the media industry. She has been referred to by Vogue Australia as the ultimate beauty expert. <laughs> She's laughing, but she loves it. Gemma doesn't just have... It. I put it in my media kit immediately when <laughs> reading it. She's joking, but also not joking at all. Um, Gemma also has her own podcast, which I'm sure a lot of you have listened to before, the Glow Journal podcast. She also edits Joe Glurnal. Christ. You could rebrand. <laughs> Glowjournal.com, a home for all things beauty and and directs Glow Journal Creative, a bespoke copywriting and photography company. I hate myself that I'm reading this because you think I should know it off by heart. Today, bit. we're sitting down with Gemma to chat about career. We're also going to chat about being taken seriously as a young woman <laughs> because it's been a big topic for us this week and how to back yourself at all costs. So Gemma, what's welcome finally hey. to Shameless? Welcome again. But oh, you, you obviously know me before all of this started? Yeah, people don't realise that. We know each other from outside of 
podcast yeah. land. My boyfriend, Mitch, studied at university with Gemma and mm. he's like the people's boyfriend at the moment. Girls are actually coming up to Mitch mm. in bars and going, are you Mitch from Shameless? <laughs> and so he literally, like a couple of listeners, I don't know, maybe they're here, a couple of listeners actually got a selfie with Mitch at a bar not Jesus. that long ago. You know Mitch could upgrade oh through this. God. He absolutely could. I think girls are actually following him. He's like, mm, maybe I could like deviate a little bit. <laughs> He's come a long way. I've probably known him longer than you have and my, 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 that boy's come far. Do you yeah. have anything to share? Well, he was my first friend at uni because I'm a bit older, which he told me the whole way through mm. A classic uni. joke. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> He's really funny. Um... So we do the, the like that classic game where they're like, turn to the person next to you and ask them a fun fact I about this. Fucking hate those games. But um, I turned to Mitch and he was like, I got to be honest, I haven't stopped drinking since Year Twelve's exams <laughs> finished. And I was like, All what right, a we're catch! <laughs> Not that much has changed, Gemma. <laughs> no, no, that's why we're still mates. <laughs> Jim, yeah, we actually, I have to say, I did want to compliment you before we start because we never actually Please. give you in real life compliments. <laughs> but when we found out we were doing this event, Michelle and I sat down for a very long time and tried to work out who we were going to bring on stage. Weird, thought you would have got it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Just came to us. But the thing about a job like this is it's actually okay and, and, and okay once you sit down with someone for a while and get them in a room to get them to open up. Like if you kind of make them comfortable enough, you can get them to open up. Getting someone on stage and having a conversation with them that is then going to be pushed out onto our channels was quite stressful for us because you get someone on stage and they tend to seize up and aren't very open, right? The reason we wanted you is because you are so great in front of a crowd. We obviously hosted Mecca Land as a little trio. We did. You were not a third wheel. Don't worry about it. Zara was. I think I was. <laughs> Based on um, when we got picked up by the car, that little sign. <laughs> oh, that little sign. I feel like context is important. We, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this, is our, this is our job, you know, just provide context. Mm. You can just do whatever. Yeah, I will. Um, when we did get picked up for Mechaland, there was a sign picking us all up and we were three apparently co-hosts for Mechaland and there is this sign in this driver that says, Gemma Watts. Mm. As it should. Michelle Andrews. Tiny, tiny. And then just and Zara. Zara. No, 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 it was, no, it was Zara. after the number plays. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 the flight number was first and oh, then it was and Zara. It's on the Instagram. Put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. <laughs> Gemma, I am actually going to start this in conversation now because we really could go all night. Tell me, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to at the moment? I've got some obscure recommendations. <laughs> um, at the, I just started reading, it's the SNL book live from New York. It's, it was published maybe four years ago. Um, when they did the... Any SNL fans, just me. I'm a big fan of that kind of sketch comedy, anything that's come out of sort of the Second City, the Groundlings, that kind of improv scene in New York. The book first came out, I think, with season 30. This is the re-release for season 40. So far, so good. So if anyone's into, like, sketch comedy, that's a winner thus far. Have you listened to the awards show chatter podcast with Jimmy Fallon? Because there's a great chat with him where he talks about his early days in SNL. He pronounces Saturday Night Live very weird. He kind of says Saturday Night Live, which is completely irrelevant in this context. But that's a great interview too. It's a really good one. I mean, we can chuck that in my recommendations as well if you'd like. You're so welcome. Um, Another one, this is not recent. I think it's an article from 2015 or 2016. Most of the magazines that I read are biannual that are between issues at the moment, like they're on the cusp of a July release. So I went back and was reading some old Gentlewoman magazines and there is, you'll, I feel like you'll like this because you love a celebrity profile, Zara, and they are 
dead, to quote you back to you. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're quoting like all of the New York Times articles about that that I just re-quote, but thank you. I don't care. Um, <laughs> it's a celebrity profile on um, Bjork, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's fantastic. So if you can source like a back issue of that, wonderful. And then I have one more, perhaps more on the maybe lowbrow brilliant if we're talking New York Times approval matrix. There is a podcast slash YouTube channel, Zach Sang. I'm not fully across celebrities apart that name? from... Well, he does all the... He's friends with Ariana Grande, etc. Yes, I've, li- I've et cetera. <laughs> the other ones, but there was a really good interview. I exclusively watch Trash, so I'm watching the CW Dynasty, and there's a really good interview. That show is... Like proper trash. Oh, it's sensational though. It's amazing. I relate to Fallon Carrington on so many levels. So there is a, um, because I'm a huge bitch, I think is the word. Um, There's an interview with Liz Gillies and Madison Brown and it's very good. I'm done. You can continue. All right. Our second question as always is tell us about. (laughs) We're just going to number these and number seven on the list. Tell us about your childhood. You spoke very recently about being bullied quite badly in primary school, was it? Or was it high school too? Uh, Both. Primary school was much, much, much worse. I'm about as extroverted as extroverted gets. But first couple of years of primary school, not so much. And then my parents threw me into dancing and now I'm a child of the theatre, which explains just about everything about my personality. Grade three, you were talking about this, Michelle, in the interview with Jada, how it sounds silly to be like, oh, I was bullied in grade three because you're so young. How bad can it be? Pretty bad, as it turns out. Um, My parents were going to move me to another school, but we resolved it. It was not not a nice time. When I... I mean, retrospectively, there were several people involved. I only got really upset with the ringleader. I think even in grade three, I had an awareness of this idea of followers. So that didn't bother me so much. I'm like, whatever, it's the ringleader. But yeah, it made me a lot tougher. And then later in high school, the old cyberbullying <laughs> kicked in. How were you cyberbullied? Because someone... Does anyone mm. remember asking me anything? It was like this anonymous chat oh, where you didn't could literally ask anyone anything. <laughs> I got some of the worst questions one day and I tricked this girl. I said, my dad works in IT and he can trace the IP of every question. And I just took a blind guess. I was like, he told me that you sent those questions because I just had a hunch and she broke down oh, crying. Gosh. She's like, I'm so sorry I did. Woman's intuition. I know. Best hack ever. My dad works in IT. He doesn't really, but... Oh. <laughs> if I could go back in time. Um, no, there was a girl... It wasn't even my year level. It was an older year level. Um, she would... She and her friends would take a lot of photos, um, just mocking me, and then put in the caption, oh, do we look like Gemma Watts yet? Just things like that. I was fine with that, though. I think at that point I was pretty... Like, it was just kind of water off a duck's back, which is a shame that you have to go through... Well, you don't have to, but to have gone through bullying in primary school, you know, to then be able to deal with it later in life, but... Do you think that contributed to who you are as a person now? Because knowing you privately and in a professional context, you have an incredibly thick skin and you are very confident in a non-arrogant way. You're just confident and (laughs) self-assured. Debatable. (laughs) Do you think that contributed to that side of you? Without a doubt. Without any semblance of a doubt. I just, I don't know, going through that so early on, I don't know. It just, 
it took a while, but coming out on the other side of it, I was like, what does one other person's opinion matter? Which I know, like, if anyone's going through it now, I know it happens as an adult. Um, easier said than done, but uh, what's one opinion in the grand scheme of things? As long as you know that you're going through life and you're being kind to people and you're doing your best and you're working hard, if you know that, then uh, whatever. It's very wise as a child. It's, it's an only child thing. Well, that's, well, that was my, genuinely my next question because we've had conversations um, off mic because most all of our conversations well, this would be the first mic. on mic. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was a silly comment. Um, about being an only child and I've made only child jokes and you've said only children get a bad rap. Mm, we do. Tell me about growing up as an only child and sort of like maybe the stereotypes or whether you like how much you enjoyed that experience. Well, I think the assumption... I'm so sorry. I've got my back to everyone over here. Um, I think the assumption... And this side of my face is much better, which is a real shame. Um, I think the assumption is that I would have grown up quite lonely, which was not the case at all. My parents are... Oh, I just... They're amazing. And they're the most social people I've ever met in my life. So I grew up... I mean, they, they still to this very day have parties multiple times a week, um, which is very sad for me because (laughs) I don't. Um, But they're very social and I just watched them with all of their friends and our house to this day is sort of the hub where people just drop in and there's always wine in the fridge. So I just, I watch how much fun they have and I was like, I want to be that friend. I want to be the friend that people can just drop in and, you know, have a little party. The other thing I think... Because I was an only child, there wasn't an older sibling or anything to babysit. So they would just... Mum says within a few... (laughs) This is so bad. I hope she doesn't... I hope she does listen. But when I was a newborn baby, they had me in the capsule, but they had a party to go to. So um, they just took me and popped me on the amplifier. Um, So now I can sleep through just about anything. But um, then as I learnt to talk that was with adults so I've never really had a problem having a conversation with people when I don't know what they're talking about which I imagine we'll explore this evening. (laughs) Talk us through your decision to get into the media and get into beauty to have your sip of wine. Sorry I'm not sorry. That's wine is it? Oh I I don't know I can't (laughs) drink I'm Dezo today so these two are like absolutely getting on it and I'm just kind of like hi. No 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 no, it takes a lot more than this to have any sort of. If I can get an English breakfast here I won't say no. (laughs) Look at her deeper. (laughs) You are in the media now Mm. you're a massive voice in the beauty community particularly. Not massive just loud. (laughs) (laughs) Were you always intent on that how did that come about? Mm. I always I've I've always loved public speaking I think from very early on I understood that I wanted to work in media in some capacity. My um, godmother, not godmother, you know those ones that aren't actually godmother, but um, she was a... They're nodding. I forget that this is being recorded. Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) We're screwed. Not so worried. She was a producer at Channel 9, still does a lot of entertainment production, so that was kind of my after-school care. They just sort of plonk me at Channel 9 when it was still Richmond, and then whenever they needed a little kid in a show, they'd just sort of wheel me in and plonk me down. So, I, yeah, I don't know if attention seeker is the technical term, but I think that's what started it, and then... um, 
here we are. I wanted to work in fashion because I just, I loved beauty, but I hadn't thought of it being an option. I'm not sure why. It just never crossed my mind. So I went into fashion and then realized I much preferred beauty and here we are. Were you attracted to the glamour of it, the Mm. industry? Because if I was being brutally honest with myself, if I look back to my high school days and I was attracted to journalism, part of me was attracted to the glamour of it. And then I started studying it and I was like, God, this is like the fucking least glamorous job in the entire world. Um, But I still love it. But was that part of it for you? Almost the opposite. I knew I wanted to write. I thought initially that I wanted to be a column writer. So when I finished year 12, I actually went to RMIT TAFE first and a lot of people at school were saying, I don't know, I think there's a stigma around TAFE and they were going, but you're getting really good marks. Why would you want to go to TAFE? But I felt like I wanted to refine my writing skills first and work out what kind of writer I wanted to be before going into an environment where it was, you know, a lecture theatre and hundreds of kids in the room at once. So I did that. I spent the first maybe six months just taking every possible class. I did short story, I did fiction, I sort of run the gamut of writing styles. They, I was the, the baby. There were a lot of people in the course that were much older and were coming back as established journalists to refresh their skills and they were saying, you need a portfolio of some kind, you need to start getting your work out there, start a blog. So I did that. I felt that what I knew was fashion perhaps not but um, I loved writing about it and yeah that's when it all started why not write about something that you love I want to talk to you for a second about toxic workplaces Mm. because I think lots of millennial women uh, particularly those in our industry have probably had an experience with toxic workplaces what about you? I know that we have had this privately in the past and I can see you ruminating what you do and don't want to share here I think it's so relevant. Like, we've had this conversation so many times about emotionally abusive workplaces. And I think for young women, it's probably more common because we don't say anything. And then a lot of young women will find themselves in jobs where they're really struggling. Mm. We have. Mm. What about you? Ditto. So I started working as a fashion editor when I was 18 or 19, which is pretty young. So my... I feel like you... I mean, we obviously do a lot of growth you know, in sort of going from your teens to being an adult. I worked as a fashion editor for five years. The business itself changed quite a lot in that time to the point where I was very much ready to leave, so that's what I did. On reflection, my friends, family and partner knew I was ready to leave about six months before I did. And that is I, always the way as well. Well, this is the thing. I think it's because it's very difficult to see a problem when you are that close to it. And it's, I've now been working for myself for upwards of two and a half years. And the longer I go, the more I look back and go, no, you needed to leave much earlier than you did. Because you just don't realise. And there were situations that I was finding myself in that were absolutely not okay, I'm very grateful that I got to do that job and I learnt so much from it and pretty much all of the contacts I have now are from those years that I spent working in fashion. But there there was some weird shit going on that I <laughs> should have escaped earlier than I well, did. It takes a mental toll, right? Like yeah. I, at one stage, when I was at a toxic workplace, had to talk, I took anxiety leave for... I think it was 10 days in the end, and that I felt like 
my entire life was being demanded by this mm. workplace and I couldn't have a private life. There was no sacred or leftover time. Work was seeping into every single nook and cranny of my existence. Did you feel that? Did it take a mental toll? It, it did to a point. I think the issue for me, and I was talking, my best friend is a professional dancer and she was saying that she has similar issues in her industry in that you feel as though if you don't say yes to everything, someone else is going to come in and take that job. So I was offered a huge opportunity interstate. Looking back, the conditions were not okay, not in the slightest. I was made to... I was... I'm just going to say it. Um, <laughs> they, Here we go. They, to be fair and to preface this, they did ask if I was okay with it and I said yes. I gave them full consent. Two weeks in Sydney, I was 23 working pretty much around the clock. Uh, my accommodation was a hostel, so the fun showers with the, um, the thongs. So that's fun, really fun for two weeks. Um, and I was sharing a room with our male videographer, who's 10 years my senior. is a good friend now, but at the time we'd worked together probably three times. Uh, sorry, dead air. I'm genuinely mm. shocked by that. Yeah, but at the time, and it was an incredible, no, the work we did, amazing. The opportunities that came from it, amazing. Looking back as an adult, what the fuck but was I thinking? That's the thing about toxic workplaces, right? I will look back on some times, and I know I have like friends sitting in the audience who's probably nodding of stories that I used to tell her, and she would be like, that's insane. But at the time, you don't realise, and I remember I used to sit at work, or it wasn't actually until, it's what you say, it's not until you remove yourself from it. And I remember turning to Michelle um, a while ago saying, I don't have this knot in my stomach anymore. Mm. Like, and I didn't realise that knot was there until it was gone. So I want to know from someone who has been in it and been out of it for a long time, what you would tell a young woman listening to this who thinks, I think, I think my workplace is a little bit fucked. I think that it's really taking That's a toll on me. That's the technical term too, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it actually is. What would you tell them? I just... When I look back on it, I just having a really good support network was the most important thing for me. Listen to those people. If your friends and family are saying to you, you are unhappy, get out of there. And that's my own, you know, the, the, obviously that situation wasn't ideal, but the business wasn't at fault the whole time. My just, I, I stopped loving the fashion industry and I was probably a bit of an asshole to work with I'm happy to admit that but it did take me six months to realize and to reconcile that within myself that I needed to go you know what I think a trap is I think personally for me and I think for you as well Zara to speak on your behalf do it I think as well when it's framed that experience is the same as being paid well that experience is enough to reimburse you for your time and your energy and your mental health Mm. that's such a huge trap to fall into and I know that with our industry and perhaps many of the industries that you guys work in, that's something that always happens, that people point back, but a million girls want this job. Or the experience that you're getting in this is unrivaled, which isn't always true, number one. I think you can go to many workplaces and have a really beneficial, healthy environment there and still get Mm. good experiences. But so often bad behaviour in a workplace is excused with that. Absolutely. I, I mean... I still look back on the work that came out of that period and I am so proud of it. It's some of the best work I've ever done. Was it worth it? I don't know. And it's hard to say whether things were worth it because you don't know what would have come out of the alternative. I think in my case, it probably was worth it. I really think I did need the six months that followed to sort of 
figure out what I wanted to do, come up with a game plan, get all of my ducks in a row and go from there. But it's so different for everyone. That's, that's the hardest part about this for me because I look back and I think it probably was worth it too. And I think that's the thing that's hardest when we're talking about, okay, well, what would you tell young women? Was it worth it? Was the experience worth it? Michelle, I would argue, and I'm also just going to speak on your behalf too because we are two souls, one brain. Or is it two brains, one soul? Absolutely, the latter. Two brains, one soul. Um, that, that it probably was worth it, that experience in that case sometimes is. And so it's, it's really, really difficult. I wanted to move this along, though, because we've been having a lot of conversations this week between ourselves, but I wanted to open this up to you about credibility at this age and and working in an industry or in a niche, quote-unquote, that people think is silly, frivolous. what a niche. I know, right? But not just women or pop culture, but beauty. Did you ever... How often does that cross your mind that sometimes I go and introduce myself to people, I say I'm a beauty writer, they might think I'm dumb? It doesn't. Um, I think the thing is for me, I mean, I don't really care if anyone takes me seriously, which, you know, I think is a strength of mine, but also, you know, it's probably to my detriment. But I just, I think there is a difference between taking someone seriously and respecting them. So I don't, for example, I don't think, you know, sport to me is very fun, do I take a game? A foot, AFL is it's obviously I take AFL very seriously, but soccer, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't take it seriously at all. Do I respect the players and the amount of work that goes into it and understand that, yes, this is a legitimate job? Yes, I do. I think taking something seriously and showing someone respect are two different things. Where does that come from then? Because... I don't know. I, I do care about being taken seriously. And I said this on the podcast this week in that sometimes I do struggle to introduce my job to people because I don't want people to not take me seriously on instinct. Where does that come from? Is that just that thick skin we keep coming back to? Maybe an only child thing? Maybe an early bullying thing? Am I trying to psychoanalyze you in front of you? No, that's... I, I mean, go to town. I, it could be any number of those things. I just... That's, that's my personality. I know that's not useful to anyone, but I just... You can't be me. No, you can't. But I just... <laughs> I just, I don't know, what's the point in dwelling on these things? I'm very much a just, if something goes wrong, just dust yourself off. Like, I'm time better spent elsewhere. Talk to us about the term influencer, because you have a degree in communication from RMIT, which is a very difficult degree to get. I'm sure lots of you here Oh, yes, know I forgot that. to say after TAFE, I did go to university, so <laughs> if anyone was wondering. Talk to us about people, and I've read a number of articles when we were researching for this interview, referring to you as an influencer first. Mm. How do you feel about that? I don't actually have a problem with it. I think I'm supposed to, but I don't. I think as long as people understand that there are a lot of um, other kind of elements to my business and what I'm doing, that's important. But, I mean, if, if I'm, influ- I'm a beauty writer, if I'm influencing people to make a decision regarding a purchase, then I'm doing my job. So if people are branding me an influencer, then ripper. Into that conversation then, this is a bit of a meatier topic. Lots of people, when it comes to beauty influencers, have a problem with people pushing products that may... Where the... <laughs> where the brand basically endorses animal testing or turns a blind eye to animal testing. How do you feel about that and what's your stance on it? If I am being completely honest, I am not well-versed enough to really speak on the subject. I use products that have been tested on animals. Am I proud of that? No. Am I proud of 
eating meat? No. Am I trying to educate myself on it? Yes, I am. Is that enough? I don't know. I really related to, um, I mean, you guys talked about it a couple of months ago about just doing little bits. That's what I'm trying to do. At the moment, my focus is more on um, sustainability and inclusivity as far as um, races. Is that me trying to justify like, oh, you know, if I just look at this cause, then everything else is fine? Perhaps, but it's something that I am trying to work on. I know Estee Lauder, um, I think just yesterday, said that they are planning to completely get rid of animal testing by 2023, which is very exciting because they're, I would say, the two biggest multinationals are probably Estee and L'Oreal and all of the brands that come under those umbrellas. It's an exciting time, but it is something that I acknowledge that I need to do more reading on. It's pragmatic though, right? I mean, we have a lot of conversations all the time about trying to work out what are the things we very publicly stand for because we cannot publicly stand for everything. Like, it's actually just not doable. And also then it dilutes the things that you want to care about and that you want to push. So you have to kind of, you know, align yourself with brands that you care about, but also you need to make money. I mean, the money part of it... I mean, you just need to survive, right? Feed yourself. That actually doesn't bother me because the um, the Instagram part of it for me is not the, um, the sort of the bulk of my income. The yeah. copywriting business is, and um, yes, yeah, so that's that's sort of my focus. But so the money side of it doesn't really play a part for me. But I think as far as writing about beauty goes, I am trying to be as objective as possible when I review a product. Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at right now. You touched on the copywriting business then. You do everything on your own. Like, Mm. not just the copywriting business and the podcast and MC work. Everything is Mm -hmm. on your own. I want to know more about that because Zara and I are obviously in the same industry as you and there are some super intimidating situations. Like, some of the situations you're thrown in where you might be talking to thousands and thousands of people in a room is really bloody intimidating and it can really unsettle you and unnerve you. We have each other as a crutch, right? Like and we, we go into every situation and Zara and I always look at each other and we always go, oh my God, thank God you're here because I'm freaking out. Are you freaking out? Like, thank God we're here for each other because otherwise we'd lose the plot. How it's do true. You- <laughs> Even on Friday, we turned up to somewhere and we got out of it. We were sitting in the car and we were like, God, we don't really want to be here. Like, we're happy we're here, but we're pretty like nervous and terrified to be here. Mm. We would not be able to do this without each other. We were watching you. We were actually talking about this today. We were watching you at Mechaland. And we, there was a PR event at Mechaland. And we were... The PR event at Mechaland happened just before we were all about to go on stage and host for the next three hours. So Michelle and I were trying to, like, conserve our energy and sort of stand in a corner and talk to ourselves and talk to people who were coming up to us. But we were genuinely very much trying to conserve our energy. Gemma, meanwhile, is working this entire fucking room and putting us to shame by herself. And we thought, how does Gemma do this by herself? Does that ever cross your mind? Does, it, does that sort of intimidation ever overwhelm you or do you just have to deal with it? I mean, I'm just such an extrovert. I just love, like, that's Hang on, hang I'm... on. I'm an extrovert. We are both so extroverts. We did a personality test and we got the same personality type. Oh, you ENFJ. <laughs> I don't know. That's just how, I, for me, it's just how I recharge my batteries. I think what goes through my head, the only real, 
I mean, I just have one thought at all times, and that is what is the worst that can happen? The bulk of the time, it's nothing. I mean, you stumble over a word when you're in saying big whoop. Some pretty, yeah, I don't know. The first thing we did at Megaland kind of went a little bit awry. So some bad things can happen. Like, you can get on stage and there can be a technological problem. Sure, but does anyone remember that? No. When I think of all of the events that I've been... No, I not, have nightmares about it still. So. They don't. <laughs> I can assure she does. you. I assure you they don't. Think about all of the events that you've gone to and... Even when you've watched live television and something's gone wrong and a cross has been delayed, you don't remember it. And, you know, five minutes afterward, it's gone. You laugh for a moment and then whatever. But lots of people wouldn't be able to do what you do. Like, I know in myself, like, I love what I do with Zara. I would not be able to do this alone. Absolutely not. I would would be exactly the same. How do you do it? I just love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> she, just, she has oh no answer. Oh, my God. Imagine sharing the introduction with someone else. I would <laughs> never. Oh. You're so annoying. You don't love the sound of your voice. I think it actually does come back to that same point that we keep coming to, genuinely, which is that you probably have a thicker skin and more resilience than the average person. I wanted to quickly go back a step very quickly because I didn't get a question in that I wanted to when we were talking about... Disaster. Uh, order. <laughs> Um, when we were talking about Instagram, in that what the very funny thing that happens when you start to build an Instagram following is that people will kind of innately start caring about who you are as a person in your private life. And you don't share much about yourself. You are quite private. Even privately, you're quite private. And you don't share much about your partner or your private life, even on those things. Why is that? And is that incredibly deliberate on your part? It is deliberate. There are a few reasons. The first being my job involves me being connected and on social media pretty much all of the time. So when I am with friends, family and my partner, I want to be fully present. That's the big one for me. Um, I imagine it's different if you don't have to be on your phone during the work day. So for me, it's a welcome relief to not have to have my phone on me. The other thing is... um, I think it is, if people were, I don't get a lot of criticism and I think that's because I'm not sharing a great deal of myself. I'm not sharing um, anything controversial. I'm really just sharing product reviews and, you know, the occasional selfie. Um, If anyone, if I were posting my personal life and all of that all the time, that criticism would probably hurt because that's an attack on my character. You're not seeing a great deal of my character on there. So, again, it, you know, just doesn't faze me. Something we noticed at Mechaland, and we had been told this for years, is that the beauty industry is really beautiful and warm and lovely, but people in the fashion industry are very insular and quite cold. And I always thought that was a bit of bullshit because I thought people were just exaggerating until I was in that environment and around both groups of people at different times and realised, wow, people aren't joking. People in the fashion industry tend to, on the whole not want a bar of you. People in the beauty industry are basically giving you a hug the second they meet you. Oh, they're heaven, aren't they? Genuine. I thought it was a wank. I said this to Michelle. I thought this was beauty industry people patting themselves on the back saying, we are so welcoming. And then we got into, like, did a few beauty industry events and I was like, these people are so nice. It's amazing. Fashion people are terrifying. Like, I actually want to evaporate into thin air. Do you think it's because we suck at clothes, though? Probably. You, no, 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 no. We're we not look. having negative self-talk in this Gemma, interview. Gemma, look how overdressed we are. Anyway, that's not the point. Why is that? What is it between the fashion and the beauty industry that makes them such different spaces to be in? 
Look, the only real issue I had with fashion is, I mean, this sounds silly now with all of the talk of beauty not being particularly inclusive, but I felt a little bit excluded from fashion um, being a size 10 to 12. Sample sizes are a 6 to 8, so um, brands would approach me and say, oh, we'd love to dress you for this event. And, you know, would you like to pull something from the lookbook? Yes, I would. This is what I would like. This is the size. Oh, we've only got a size 8. Well, that just doesn't feel the best, does it? And it still happens, but... I just felt like at least with beauty, even if you're not into makeup, you know, you're probably using a cleanser or a moisturiser or something. It just felt less... I mean, to involve yourself in fashion feels almost deliberate, whereas beauty can just be part of the everyday. Was that part of your reason to sort of switch over from fashion to beauty? Was it, wow, I feel quite welcomed in this community? Was it, wow, I actually much prefer reviewing this stuff and writing about this stuff? Or was it maybe a combination of the two? It was more um, when I first started writing fashion, the pieces I was writing and the pieces that were getting the most traction were interviews with designers uh, and really objective reviews on collections and also just fashion news stories. With Instagram, fashion content, digital fashion content, I should say, really became more about personal styling um, and there are people that are so good at that but I didn't feel that, you know, that was what I loved doing. What I loved doing was the interviews and talking about things objectively. I spent two years, when I was working as a fashion editor, I spent two of those years also writing for L'Oreal. And during that time, I realised, I just felt like there was more to write about and I could, you know, you could be a bit meatier with it. So I just, I think that was it for me. I just think the industry had changed so much in good ways and bad ways, but it just wasn't for me anymore. You've had a really big year so far. You obviously hosted Mechaland. You were at Vogue Codes. You've done a bunch mm, of stuff. That was wild. What is next for you? What do you see? I mean, I'm the type of person where I don't think more than probably eight weeks in the future because mm. I think sometimes if you look too far ahead, you can get a bit blinded to things that little opportunities that mm. might pop up in the periphery. But what's next on your plate? Do you have any plans for 2020 or the end of this year? I'm a bit the same as you. I think um, just in the way that I work... I look at everything that has happened over the last few years. I couldn't have planned any of this and these opportunities, um, particularly with with social, uh, didn't exist years ago. So if I had gone into this industry with a singular goal, I feel like I would have had my blinders on and potentially closed myself off to opportunities. That may not be the case for everyone. I just know that that is how I work. In the near future, I mean, there might be a podcast first birthday on the horizon how exciting we shall see but other than that on um another recommendation on the daily talk show they had dan deboof on i think last week and he i loved this he was talking about this idea of rather than chasing your goals and chasing your future sneaking up on your future I just think that makes so much sense because... In what way? Okay, so let's... What does that even we mean? Are, <laughs> like, how playing, does that make sense? We're playing like a hide-and-seek Tiggy hybrid. If I come running at you, yelling, waving my hands in the air, you know I'm there. I'm not going to win the game. But if I do a 40-40 style sneak up from around the corner, bang, I win. What I are you talking about? I don't understand the analogy, but I don't understand, like, the reality. Okay, like, so... Are we still talking about the future? Yeah, so we're... To- like, how would you... Dan did... Uh, okay, this was his example. If you say, I want to be um, hosting breakfast radio, 
the one version of that is you are knocking on the doors and going, I'm, I'm ready, I'll work for free, I'll do this. The other version of that is maybe I'll start a taxi. Um, maybe I'll start a podcast. Maybe I'll start going to these functions that I might not have considered relevant. Maybe I'll meet someone there. It's just not going, okay, bang, that's the goal. I will not stop until I get there. It's doing lit. Can I, call call it, can I call it breadcrumbing? I was going to say Dan DeBoo should have called it like, you know, a holistic approach to chasing your future. <laughs> no, it's sneaking up on your future. That's what it's called. It's <laughs> trademarked. Term. Interesting. Breadcrumbing. Gemma, we have only a final few questions for you. But one of the ones that we did touch on a little bit earlier, I think Michelle did, was as a woman walking that fine line. And we asked Flex Mommy this in our last In Conversation episode too. Walking that fine line, fine line between... Wow. (laughs) um, Walking that fine line between arrogance and confidence (laughs) because I think the minute you start pushing things out publicly, you become hyper aware that confidence can look like arrogance and, and vice versa. How do you walk that line? Does it cross your mind? Do you care about it? That actually does cross my mind all the time. I think that's probably why I was bullied because when you're a kid and you see someone who's pretty comfortable in their own skin, I don't know. Um, I do think about that. I think where confidence and arrogance are separate is if you remain humble. I don't think confidence and humility are mutually exclusive. For example, I am confident in my, let's say, abilities as an MC. But if an event goes really well, I'm grateful because I know there are a lot of other elements that went into that. When we achieve success, yes, hard work has gone into it, but there are so many other things that play a part. So I think as long as you remain humble and you express gratitude, then, you know, that line becomes pretty clear and you don't tiptoe over it. Do you feel as a woman that maybe your confidence is questioned more than what a man's confidence would be questioned? Absolutely. I think the events of yesterday... Probably um, (laughs) evidence to that. That just, uh, I mean, I got very fired up. I don't get fired up if people are rude to me, but you fuck with my friends. Oh, disaster. It's actually funny that you say that because when you were saying, like, we were just talking about confidence, something that Michelle and I said about you after Mechline actually just sounds like we spoke about you and psychoanalyzed you for like a week after we spoke. I hope that you did. We We did. did. Um, (laughs) We absolutely did. One thing we said about you is that you're so brilliantly confident and I would love to take some of that on board, but more so... You can have it, babe. You're so brilliantly confident about other people. Like Mm. you pump other people up as much as you pump yourself up. You agree? Um, oh, yeah. Well, when we won the Australian Podcast really Award, nice. we would walk into a room and Gemma would literally, like, almost flick stop the lights the off. Like, would do whatever she could to stop the entire room and be like, guess what, guys? And they'd be like, who are these two people? She's like, they just won Australia's po- like, like, Podcast Award. We've never seen them in our lives. And Gemma's like, Amping and up all the these room. people looking at us being like, who the fuck are you? And Gemma's like, amazing. Let's <laughs> give them a clap. Like, you do that for everyone. You make I sure did. that everyone is acknowledged. <laughs> I just. I am a sincere believer that there is room for everyone to succeed and I think the best use of my time is to just make sure my friends are aware that they are the best. You guys are amazing. Everyone in this room is amazing and I just think it's so important that we do pump up each other's tyres. Cutting people down gets you absolutely nowhere and I just... Yeah, I don't know. Credit where credit's due. I think it's an amazing quality, though. Like, it is something that I really... I do genuinely love in other people, like people that can be genuinely happy for other people. So that leads us maybe, not really, to our last question, (laughs) which is 
what does success look like to you? Because for me, that would be a huge part of success, not just being able to be successful yourself, but being able to be genuinely happy for other people's success. It was an amazing segue. I, well, I, exactly what you just said, I think, I mean, it's such a wanky answer, isn't it? Success is happiness, but it really is. As long as I just, I don't know, we're all on this earth to have a nice time and to work hard and be kind to each other. And if we're doing that, then how good is that? Oh. You're pretending you're being sarcastic, but I think no, it's genuinely coming from a place of When I earnestness. had a YouTube channel for three and a half minutes, someone told me I'm um, the Bernard Tomic of beauty and that I sound like I truly hate it, but I'm really quite good at it. And I think that's just my voice. And that's also why YouTube was not for me. Gemma, thank you. Thank you for being so wonderful. Thank you for making our job so easy. I wasn't joking at the start. This kind of gig is not particularly easy if you get someone that's closed and doesn't want to open up to an entire room of people. So thank you for being so wonderful and so kind and so supportive of us. Thank you for telling us about the hostel. That is that, Thank you for telling us about the hostel. Man, I really didn't know if I should tell that story. But <laughs> it's in there now. I said it was okay. So, I mean, <laughs> Can we give a round of applause? Thank you, Gemma Thank Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless live at Mercedes Me Store in Melbourne. You can find the fabulous Gemma Watts on Instagram at Gem K Watts and find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Shameless Podcast is a production of Shameless Media. We will see you guys next Monday. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.